everyone available to the notes that we have out on that table. It just kind of helps as we're working through the different scriptures. And uh, the other aspect of it is, is you can look at it at home. And as I'm preparing uh, for my teen week of speaking and just prayerfully considering what, what would be the, I mean, the number one priority. And, and it seems kind of the season and where I'm at is presenting Christ, proclaiming Christ. So I am going to ask you to turn with me to Luke chapter 20. And uh, we as a church have been working through that. My destination is John chapter 18, where we'll finish John, uh, where he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and they asked him, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, I am. And they fall back. They fall to the ground. Right? And I'm just trying to, to, to present and trying to get my mind wrapped around what was it, like who was he proclaiming himself to be that they grasped? Because I know that my knee doesn't bend as quickly as it should. Right? My, my will, my obedience is not, God says it, that settles it. All right, and that's something, and, and I know in my own life, in my own walk with the Lord, the more I dig into these scriptures and the more I put who Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah is, I know that my submission is becoming more and more, I'm going to say, right, yeah, yeah, more and more, more solidified, but my submission is becoming quicker right, because I, I'm recognizing him. So that would be the, the, the motive behind here. We're in Luke chapter 20, so I'm going to pray, and uh, we'll just begin. We are going to look, um, hopefully you have a pen to star verses and, and what have you. We are, we're just going to present Christ, and then we're going to see who Jesus is, is telling these Pharisees from Psalm 110 who he is. And uh, if we don't get through it all, that's okay too. I got cut and paste, and I can put it in next week's. <laughs> So dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for this time, Lord, I pray that your spirit would just uh, quiet our hearts, Lord, distill our minds, and, and I love how just that, that picture of, of settling us as we read your scriptures. And I pray that your spirit would illuminate with our surrender, Lord, and I pray that we wouldn't perhaps understand all of this this morning. But we would leave here having read your word. We would leave here understanding what, at least one thing, of who you are and what you desire for us in our lives. So I just pray as we work through this that, that we would be attentive and we would just recognize that this is a lifelong learning thing. And uh, we thank you for this time that you've given us in your name. Amen. So let me just read the text, Luke chapter 20. We'll just be working through uh, 41 to 44. And again, if we don't get there, we don't get there, but we just process this. So we have, just in context approaching this, the authorities in Luke chapter 20, they've been challenging Jesus. They've been challenging him. Um, we understand if you were to go back um, to the beginning, we have had the in last part of chapter 19, We've had the triumphal entry take place. I mean, the people in Jerusalem are proclaiming who? The king, right? I mean, just blessed, verse 38, chapter 19, blessed is the king 
who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That's Psalm 118. Right, they were recognizing, okay, the, the time has come. They, they, were, they were recognizing, beginning to recognizing who Christ is. You look at verse 41, Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem because they wanted a king, but they weren't willing to accept God's Christ, the Son of God. Chapter 20, we see the authorities, Jesus' government, challenging him every step of the way. I mean, at one point, they're asking him, if you'll notice in verse 20, is it lawful to pay taxes to your government or not? I mean, citizenship, they're like, okay, you know, and they're challenging him on that. Last week, we looked at the, the teaching topic or the Torah topic of the resurrection. So now in verse 41, we're going to recognize that Jesus is kind of turning the tables on them. And he's speaking to the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees here, and, and they're religious rulers. They have the Old Testament scriptures. I mean, they, they've studied them. By the age of like 13, they would have had the, the first five books of their Old Testament memorized, which is crazy. But to be a Pharisee, that was the, the, the establishment as, as young, young men. And in verse 41, it says, that, And he, Jesus, said to them, How can they say that the Christ is the son of David. Now David himself said in the book of Psalms, and this is your Psalm 110 that we read earlier in the service, the Lord, Jehovah, said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And Jesus presents this question here. Therefore, David calls him Lord. Right, this, this, this Lord is higher than King David. This Lord is higher, and, and, and we'll get to this. And everything, but how is then he his son if he's ruling over David? Oh, it's just a, just a huge, huge thing to consider here. So as we step into this, and I should have maybe read verse 39 and 40. Um, so just come up to verse 39 with me. He's finishing this, this discourse, this conversation with them. Oh, maybe we've got to go back to verse 37. Let's go to verse 37, and then just, I'm going I'm to put my foot down there for fear of re-preaching last Sundays. All right, verse 37, Jesus is making a point here about the resurrection. He says, but even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised. When he called the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. If we remember last week, even just the idea, but even Moses showed, how did Moses show that in his writings? Right, in the Old Testament Torah. We remember that from Exodus chapter 3. Right, as Moses recorded that, he shows that God is a living God. Verse 38 says, For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. There's a resurrection that's coming. Then some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well. But after that, they dared not question him any more. So as I pondered this week and, and just trying to, to grapple with this, I recognize that even as these unbelievers with their Old Testament scriptures, and they're unbelievers in that they're refusing to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, they were beginning to recognize that he's speaking truth. He's speaking wisdom. He's speaking with authority from who? From the Father. There's something about Jesus as he's, he's opening the scriptures. 
right, from Moses. You remember Moses in that burning bush passage back in Exodus chapter 3? All right, you remember that? He was proving that God is the God of, of the living and not of the dead. These unbelievers were recognizing this wisdom through his explanation of scriptures. And I'm just trying to get that across this morning. Yes, Jesus did teach and he spoke for the Father and there was new revelation. But most of the time as you follow Jesus' teachings, as he spoke for the Father, as he is God, I mean, we include all of that, the scriptures were opened. And he was showing them who he is. He was, he was teaching them how to properly read their scriptures. And that is so applicable for today. Because we use words like discipleship, don't we? Right? That's very, very important. But most of the time, and sometimes in camp, sometimes in youth ministry, sometimes even at the Bible school, I hear the word discipleship, and the Bible is closed. And we're discipling in ideas and concepts. And, and our ideas, I'm sorry, but our ideas and our words and our fancy phrases, they're not going to stick with the next generation. Right? It's the Word of God that's the authority. It's the Word of God that we need to bring them to. And even Jesus himself continually brought them to the Scriptures. So even just looking at that, that term, teacher, do you see it in verse 39? Teacher. I mean, these were Jews. I mean, for us as teachers, I listen to my teens. There's no respect for teachers today. <laughs> you, would, you wouldn't pay me enough to be a teacher in the public system. But that's not the, the teacher of the Jewish culture. This was a rabbi thing. When you, when you sat and you listened, as many of, of these, these men, and you, you sat underneath a rabbi and you said, you know what, I really agree with this person's teaching. Right? Because there were many rabbis. Right? And I really agree, and as their teaching just resonated, you know what? I am going to commit myself to his teaching and how he lives his life fully. I'm going to be a disciple of this rabbi. So in this Jewish culture, I mean, his teaching, the way he lived his life, what he was calling the people to, you committed yourself fully to that. It was no different with Jesus. As he came in and he spoke for the Father, he was teaching the Bible, the Scriptures properly. He was teaching the, the context. He was taught, teaching there about the, the, the greatest commandments of loving God and loving your neighbor and how this is supposed to look. And as these men and women, they were being called to commit themselves to him, his teaching, right, and to follow as disciples, I mean, he's just processing that. I mean, to follow the, the rabbi's example completely. When they were discipled, they weren't following ideas. They were taught what to teach. Jesus showed them. And again, like I could get into Acts. I mean, when Paul went into the synagogues, he was showing them from scriptures. Right? When he went to the, the Greek audience, he was continually bringing them to the scriptures. Right, the scriptures have to be the center. That's the authority. That's the truth. Because our ideas won't stick with that next generation. Right, that idea of, of following an idea concept. I put in bold, just uh, down, down a couple lines there. Right? They were taught what to teach from what? Well, we say the word of God. What was the authority as Jesus spoke to these religious rulers? What was the authority? It was God and his word. Right? Regardless of all that, it all come back to the Father and His Word, God's words. What were they shown in the Scripture? I collected some thoughts, and you notice that in the box. I said, today, what happens to a generation 
all right? When learning is no longer important. What happens to a generation when learning is no longer important? And I've been discussing this with some of the older, older people in my life, okay? What happens when a generation isn't interested in learning? You know, even the idea of, of well, you know, I'll just come and listen. You know, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just, uh, what happens when a generation no longer wants to learn about Christ? Right, what happens when the Word of God must line up with their thinking? Now, this is important because Jesus is going to read a verse from their scriptures that they've read all their lives, but they've read it wrong, right? The authority is missing. And Jesus is going to open our eyes, and, and, and they're going to see, they're, they're, they're going to have that decision that's before them. The scripture does not have to line up with their thinking, right? We, we say amen to that, okay? They have to read it as authority. So again, what happens to a generation when learning is no longer important? What happens to the word of God uh, when it has to line up with their thinking? I mean that, that the individuals, their thinking, their religion, it walks away. As Jesus presents this, there are many that are just saying no. And I'd like us just to go to John chapter 6, okay? And just this, 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 this principle, and it's heavy on my heart, right? They called him teacher. They're recognizing he's teaching with authority, and yet it's not lining up with their thinking. It's not authoritative to, to, to what, what they think, their opinion. And in John chapter 6, verse 60, and the sad thing is that, that my generation and even some of, of the older generation ahead of me and much of the generation that's behind me, this is where they find themselves, right? The, the, the Bibles are closed. There's a concept. There's an idea. And you know what? Those verses better line up with my worldview, right? Those verses better line up with, with what I, theologically what I think. And that's not how this works. Right? And Jesus is going to confront some very religious people. But here, here again in Jesus' ministry, we see the word disciple. My title says, many disciples turn away. And what are, what's a disciple? Someone who's hearing, teaching, and they're committing themselves. But we're going to see these people there. And I'm going to say older, younger. I mean, they flake off. Doesn't line up with what they think. In John chapter 6, verse 60, it says, Therefore many of his disciples, my New King James capitalizes that, helps me, those that are following Jesus, the teacher, the rabbi, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, and Jesus just explained the, the death and the breaking of his, his body as the bread and, and drinking of his blood as the cup, right, in this future picture of the, re, of the death, burial, and resurrection of, of himself, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Now, the interesting part about this is Jesus was using their Old Testament scriptures and showing them, right, the bread of life. He was having them read their scriptures and show the future, future program of this. But it was hard. And they hear this, it's hard of saying who can understand this. And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples, those that were following, complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? We hear that word a lot today, don't we? I'm offended. You know, and again, I, I, don't, I don't want us to miss this. Their scriptures were opened. Jesus was showing them. Jesus was, was expounding on these scriptures that they knew so well. And they're like, you know what? I'm offended at this. You know, this, 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 isn't, this isn't lining up with my thinking. 
we live in that age, don't we? Right? And I mean, for me as a young man, if I didn't understand authority, and if I was a little bit more of a soft-spoken character, I'd probably be timid to preach this as it needs to be preached today because of the offense, because of the pressure. But that's the world that we live in. So you say, wait, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? Son of Man, that Daniel 7 title. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. As Jesus is looking ahead to the different aspects, and we understand that today, right, the born-again believer understands the deeper things, the illumination of the Spirit. We understand when we place our faith in Christ, we are regenerated and dwelt, adopted, and sealed. That's a big part of our, our faith foundations. But there were some here with open scriptures, Jesus' teaching that said, you know what, this is offending me, and I'm not interested. There are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. Um, Depart, right? Choose not to accept his teaching. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. Right? They have to believe that Jesus is the Christ. They have to hear his words, not ideas and concepts. They have to understand and believe through the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And God, hand in hand, leads them into that relationship with Christ and with him. But verse 66 is the heartbreaking picture. From that time, many of his disciples... Now, what is a disciple again? Sitting underneath the teaching... Right? They're, 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 they're hearing, they're, they're, they're identifying, says, you know what, I know he's speaking there, I'm, I'm going to commit myself to him. But these disciples went back and walked with him no more. Why? Because Jesus' teaching from the scriptures as he spoke for the Father didn't line up with their teaching, didn't line up with their thoughts. And they walked away from the one true God. They, they walked away from their Messiah, their Messiah King. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, right? And I want you just to notice the words, notice the, the pronouns, notice the names here. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, right? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So I have the idea of, of knowing the one true God and knowing his son, Jesus Christ, from John 17, 3. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ. Christ from Greek to English means anointed chosen one. Right? Messiah, Hebrew to English, means anointed chosen one. All right? Peter is, is proclaiming the Christ, the anointed chosen one, the Messiah King here. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right, isn't that what Jesus just finished their teaching there to the Pharisees there in Luke 20? Are we seeing that? That you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So we'll pause there. The Old Testament scriptures were opened. Jesus was expounding. He was placing the decision that you either believe or you don't. 
And these people made these choices, right? And each of us today, we have choices to make as we open the scriptures. And, and as culture changes and generations change with this postmodern, I define my own truth, the authority of scripture has to be presented as paramount. Because this is what's going to change what's going on around us. Right? The authority of Scripture is what's going to bring the life of the church back alive if we return to seeking Christ in the Word and doing it collectively. So let's turn back to Luke chapter 20, and we'll see how this knits together. They say, Teacher, you have spoken well. And yet we recognize there's probably a hesitancy here. But after that, they dared, dared not question him any more. We step into verse 41, and I just thought to myself there, and he said to them, how can they say that the Christ is the son of David? All right, so who's speaking here? It says, and he said... All right, just take a couple seconds. I mean, we know Jesus is speaking here. But this title, right, there's been so much lining up. I mean, you have to see, blessed is the, the king, triumphal entry. You have to see the cleansing of the temple as he's preaching Jeremiah 7, judgment. I mean, this is Jesus. When it says he said, there's all this going into this picture. Right, and he said to them. I'd like to assume the very best of these scribes. Again, the scriptures are opened. I mean, I don't, I mean, maybe Jesus was just quoting from Psalm 110, but I mean, these men, I, I am picturing the scrolls open and Jesus saying, okay, well, let's look at this text, right, from Psalm 110. And they just tried to quiet myself, and we may, in the, in the time that we have, just do this run, and I think it would be very, very beneficial. Because he said to them, there's a lot of pictures there that we need to understand. Because Jesus says, say that the Christ is the son of David. There's, there's the anointed chosen one. There's the Davidic covenant. He's quoting from Psalm 110. And again, I think it'd just be very beneficial. So we understand with, with our notes. And again, I got one to nine. And this will coincide with the camp series, I believe, that we're going to. But we remember Genesis 3.15. The fall of Adam and Eve, right? And God is cursing Satan, right? Judging Satan, and we understand that there was a promised one that would come and crush Satan's head. Okay? Right? We understand that. The Jewish, uh, Jewish biblical forward anticipation that there is going to be someone, God's going to send someone that will put an end to Satan's rule and reign. And we know who that someone is? It's Christ. Right? It's the Messiah King. And we understand the future picture of that being um, complete. I'm going to ask you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18. And we're just establishing authority because that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. Deuteronomy 18. And he said is what jumped out. We have to understand who the he is in the biblical, biblical, I'm going to say mindset. I want to say the Jew, Jew who knew their Old Testament scriptures, who the Christ is. Deuteronomy 18, just beginning in verse 15, and we won't read the whole thing, but this Jesus of Nazareth, right, who, who healed, who, who raised the dead, who, 
who walked on water, who had control over, over the elements of God's creation. Uh, they were anticipating this even way back from just before they entered the promised land. Deuteronomy 18.15 says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. All right, there's, there's a promise of a new prophet coming, like me, Moses speaking, from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear according to all you desire to the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. Let me pay attention to verse 17 and 18. And the Lord said to me, Moses, what they have spoken is good. I, God speaking, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put i've got it highlighted in blue in my bible do we see it in verse 18 i will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that i command him who did jesus speak for the father right he was that new prophet that the the jews were anticipating okay he would speak for the father's words and he would speak to them all that he commanded him. So we have Jesus of Nazareth, this new prophet, okay? Let's go to Luke chapter 2. Do teen groups still do sword drills? You do that at a camp at all, sword drills? Sometimes? I can't imagine doing it with our teens. <laughs> We're still going to the index, which is completely fine um, at the front. So we've got the new prophet, Jesus of Nazareth. And again, I'm just, Jesus is in the temple. He's debating with these Pharisees, these religious people who, who know Psalm 110 all well. And it's, it's he said, this whole picture needs to be grasped here. At Jesus' uh, circumcision, okay, Jesus is presented in the temple. And we see that in Luke chapter 2. And verse 29, and again, I, at Simeon, oh, I just want, yeah, you know what, I'm going to read it. Verse 25, okay? taken into the temple, all right, and again, there, there was a recognition. Simeon had his Old Testament scriptures, the Holy Spirit had said, you're not going to die until you've seen the Lord's Christ. Well, hopefully that means something now. And it says, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. I think there's a Simeon that works. Yeah, 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 okay. Uh, and this man was just and devout, okay? There was a, there was a righteousness. There was a, a living and obedience, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So he was looking for the, the coming Messiah. He was looking for this restoration. He was looking for God's covenant promise. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child, who? Jesus. To do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon, this, this older man, this, this man that's devout and just, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And whenever we read that word, we always ask the question, from what? Right? Salvation saved from what? Okay, and there's a lot going on here. Right? The nation of Israel, I mean, it's it, Judaism, I mean, it's taking it downhill religiously. Many, if not most, do not have a relationship with God and obedience, the, the apostasy that's going on. Roman rule, you think of, of hunger and, and, and hurt and all that. I mean, the salvation, we're gonna, God has promised to deliver them from all of that. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation. I mean, the, the little Messiah King baby in his arms, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon knew he was holding the little Messiah King. Right? Messiah, Hebrew to English, means anointed chosen one. Okay, Simeon understood who this child was through the scriptures and God's covenant promise, as well as the Spirit. This was very, very real to him. Let's turn to John chapter 1. In case you haven't realized, I love doing this. <laughs> Just disconnecting, because when he said, if we can grasp this picture of the, the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Messiah, anointed chosen one, King, if we can grasp the, the picture of the Lamb, all right, and we tie it into to Revelation chapter 22 and 21 and the New Jerusalem where God and the Lamb are seated on the throne, it, it, it brings it into perspective for us. In John chapter 1, verse 29, we have John the Baptist, right, declaring basically the whole picture of Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, the suffering Lamb. Right, and this is all part of, of the Jewish hope. Now, they didn't understand it pre-Calvary, but the apostles sure grasped it after they watched his lifeblood poured out. John chapter 1, verse 29, The next day John saw Jesus come toward him and said, What? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in my meager, limited understanding, I know that points towards the cross, but there's also an eschatological point, too, where there will be no more curse. We read that this morning. No more crying. No more pain in the perfect restored state. Right? There's so much in this picture. So when we read, and he said, we're grasping that. We've got the Satan crusher, Jesus of Nazareth, Messiah King, the Lamb. And let's go to Matthew chapter 16, 16. This is actually a new Bible for me, and I don't have them all highlighted yet. Matthew 16, 16, another just, just prolific text of understanding who Jesus is, right? And these are, these are things that, that the, I'm going to say, these are things that even at camp, and I, I'm going to present these things to our teens, they can grasp this. They can grasp authority because they need to. Because they'll either, either grasp the authority of, of God, His Word, and Jesus as King now, or one day they will. And it'll be in a negative sense. All right. Matthew 16, 16. Oh, we've got to come back up to verse 13. It says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciple, what's a disciple? All right, again, someone who's heard the teaching, they've agreed, they've committed themselves fully to follow his example. And he's saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Just write a little note there, Daniel 7. All right, that's the, that's the Old Testament text. The Son of Man coming before the Ancient of Days. This is their, their deity. I mean, this is, this is the, the God-man king coming before God the Father. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, his disciples, but who do you say that I am? 
And I remember teaching this the once, and, and sometimes, you know, am I on the spot here? But Peter, he was grasping this. He was grasping his Old Testament scriptures. He was grasping what Jesus was presenting. I mean, all the miracles. This, this, my Jesus is the Deuteronomy 18 prophet. He is the Messiah King as he gave the Sermon on the Mount on the hillside. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. You are the anointed chosen one that all the Old Testament scriptures point towards. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Still with me? We've got a couple more. All right, let's connect that Son of the living God. Because, I mean, even in Luke chapter 20, he's talking about the Son of David, the Davidic covenant coming out of this. Okay, let's go to 1 Chronicles 17. You know, I said earlier, I love hearing the pages of Scripture turn. 1 Chronicles 17. Because when I stand up there teaching the teens at camp, <laughs> I would rather go, hey, you read it for me. Right? I would rather you, you work through it. Take this back to your cabin. And what does this mean? Right? The same way as we're reading Luke 20, and he said, who is the he? Is it our Sunday school? Jesus! You know, Bible, Holy Spirit, and give me a gold star, right? This this authority and title and picture has to be a biblical one. Luke chapter 17, verse 13 and 14. Let me read it for you. This is the Davidic covenant. We have it in 2 Samuel 7, and we have it again as, uh, I believe it was Ezra there is recording this for for another generation. It says, I will be his, whoa, 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 we got to back up a little bit. Let's go up to verse 11, all right? Speaking with, with David, David's going to get this promise. And it shall be when your days, David, are fulfilled, when you must go to be your, with your father, so when David's going to pass away, that I will set up your seed after you. So a prince, right? An heir. Heirs are going to become king. All right, this is the Davidic covenant, okay? Um, seed after you, who will be of your sons, okay? So there's going to be a lineage of David and I will establish his kingdom. Okay? We have that, that, that picture, the Davidic covenant. And we say verse 13, or verse 12, he shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. Okay? This is prophetically pointing to words who? Jesus, right? Son of David, the Christ that's coming. Okay? Verse 13 says, I will be his father and he shall be my son. There's that picture, the, the son of his love, the, the picture of the, the covenant coming, coming to its fruition um, through Jesus, the Messiah King. I will be his father, and he shall be my son, and I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him who was before you. Now, we understand primary was Solomon, but prophetically it's looking ahead to Christ, the Messiah. And I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom. How long? Forever. And his throne shall be established. How long? Forever. Okay, just a couple more pieces here. Okay, when we say he said, I mean, we have triumphal entry. We have the cleansing of the temple. We have the the anticipation. It's all part of this picture. Um, 
Yeah, let's go to Daniel chapter 7. And that's what we'll close with. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Again, that, that biblical with open scriptures. You know, who is Jesus proclaiming himself to be? Psalm 110. The Lord, Jehovah, said to my Lord David, speaking, someone who who is higher than David, right? And we recognize that, that Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the King, he is fully God and fully man. And speaking to his deity title, and in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, right? And, and I'd love to just be able to read this whole chapter with you. It says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man. When Jesus is using that title, what's he pointing towards? The scriptures that speak of himself. Right? As we, we open it up, it's like, okay, here we have this, this, this huge prophetic insight as to God's program. And Daniel sees that. Behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. We have the Son of we have the king, we have the Christ, we have the lamb, we have the, this part of the program fulfilled and he's being brought before the, the throne of the Father. They brought him near before him, then to him. Who's the him? Is it our Sunday school Jesus? No, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make a, a mockery of that, but it's the son of man, son of God, Messiah, king. I mean, these, these, this anticipation of the Messiah and messianic kingdom comes, comes out. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. We can look back on that with the full counsel of Scripture and recognize that when he said, it's a lot bigger picture. We can line those titles up. We can line up knowing the end of, of the narrative and going, there is a recognized authority here from the Father, through his word, through his Son. There's many other texts <laughs> that I would love, love to take you through. But I think we'll close there. I, oh, it's so hard. You know what? Humor may turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. If I have to stand before the Lord one day for reading too much scripture, then so be it. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 15. And I do have the, the scriptures, and we'll look at this a little bit. Um, next week, actually from Luke. But in 1 Corinthians 15, this is, this is like your resurrection chapter. Right? You've got the gospel that Jesus came, he, he, he died, he was buried, he rose again according to the scriptures, and then it works into our promise, our hope. But it walks us through the entire, entire picture. Right, right up to, and 
20, verses 20 to, excuse me, to 28. And I'll just read it with you and, and then we'll pray. Either we've looked through the resurrection hope and verse 20 says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. All right, now who is this Christ after looking after all those verses, right? He's the anointed chosen one. The entire Old Testament pointed towards him, okay? This is the one that they were anticipating, right? For since by man came death, right, Adam's sin, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. When Jesus walked out of that tomb there, that, that solidified that part of that promise that's, that's offered to everyone by faith. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Right? Who believe that he died, who, who believe that he was buried, who believe that he was resurrected from the grave, that he is the Christ. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. Right, we're speaking to the, the, the rapture. But verse 24 is the one that we want to speak to. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father. Right, we're going to the end of the story, right, end of the narrative. This is the end of the millennial reign where death is, is defeated in its finality. He delivers the kingdom of God to the Father when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy will be destroyed is death. And we'll just end there. Right? That's, that's a, such, a, such a reprieve, such a hope, such a, a joy when you understand that, that this hope goes out further. Now I will say, as just, just wrapping that up, as we looked at those verses... And I read those three words, and he said, recognizing who he is, that authority begins making sense. Right? That, 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 that not optional begins making sense. And the deeper we go in understanding and grasping who Christ is, I'm going to say the more the justice and mercy and long-suffering uh, begins to find its place. So a lot of scripture this morning. Uh, but next week we'll be very thankful that we did, did our homework. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would just guide us in processing these things. Lord, I think of all the, the different things in our lives that, that we study and apply ourselves to. Lord, whether that's work, um, whether that's putting things together, whether that's languages, um, whether that's college courses. Lord, we apply ourselves to a lot of things. But for some reason... Studying your word, in many cases, has become secondary. And I pray that you would lead us, you would put that burden on our hearts to piece together these things, so that as we read your word, as we read just what your commands and your instructions are for our lives, Lord, it would be, it would be with clarity on our end, and it would be with, with full agreement to what you desire to do in and through us. So, Lord, I pray for that burden to study. I pray that these, these verses that we've looked at um, this morning would just find their place and that, I guess in a big way, we would never read your name the same again. Lord, we would be turning back into your Old Testament texts. We would be seeing what you say about yourself 
And Lord, that we would watch that it change our lives, change how we interact with our peers, our children, our grandchildren, our church family. And Lord, that when we leave this place, we would understand that we are called to proclaim you. And Lord, that would be with open Bibles. Lord, that would be through, through verses, that would be through just connecting people with who you say you are. And I pray that you would just uh, invigorate us for that through your spirit. And uh, Lord, we do think of this afternoon, Lord, we think of the importance of, of supporting ministry, we think of the importance of fellowship, and we thank you that the camp is kicking off this afternoon. I thank you that um, you've just given us a campus where we can gather as a church families um, all over this part of the country. And just, just be part of, of, of starting out or sending off for the summer. And I pray that you would do good things, Lord, that you, your word would be proclaimed, Lord, that you would be clearly presented. And Lord, that many, many kids and, and whoever comes on that campus, parents even, would come face to face with you and Lord, that they would be saved. And Lord, we just think of, of all that and we commit them to you and we pray these things in your name. Amen.